Today we're going to continuing in our, continue in our series, week number four of our series called Against the Tide, and the subtitle is Living for Christ in a Non-Christian World. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to this church in the city of Colossae, uh, an ancient city in modern-day Turkey, in about 60 AD, and he was speaking to people who are, live in a predominantly non-Christian society about how to stand against the tide of society's prevailing attitudes and capture a life that's pleasing to God. And you know, we should relate to that because that's the kind of society that we live in. And the reason for today's intro video is because today's subject is this, what to look for in a church. And it is amazing what we look for in a church a lot of times. Here's what we do know. God put church in your life to help you live for Christ in a non-Christian world. Church isn't just something you do on weekends. You are the church. Church isn't just something that's a, a sideline in our life. Uh, it's what we're supposed to be intimately involved in so that we can live the life that God wants us to live. Now, some of you remember, as I do, that it was once common for people to, to attend the same church, or at least the same denomination, generation after generation after generation. That was true regardless of who the pastor was and how friendly the people were or were not, things of that nature. You grew up in the same church, you were married in the same church, you died in the same church and got buried out back uh, of the same church. That's the way it was in times past. Family Bibles... <clears throat> and church records of, of births and deaths and marriages and so forth were accepted as documentation before there were computers. Uh, my dad didn't have a birth certificate, uh, so we had to go back to that kind of documentation to find out when he was born. Now, of course, most people drive several miles past a lot of churches to get to a church of their choice, and, and many people change churches, even denominations, several times in their lives, kind of like uh, your major in college. You know, nobody ever just starts with the, uh, and ends with the same major in college. They change three or four times. But I think we can agree, all agree on this. The church you attend, the church you make a commitment to, the church where you commit your time and your talent and your treasure and service to Jesus is extremely important. If you want to be fulfilled in your life, if you want to be able to live for Jesus in your life, if you want your, your children and your grandchildren to grow up knowing God and loving God and serving God, then your church is extremely important. And the choice that you make in church uh, is to be made prayerfully and seriously. Uh, with, you know, uh, usually when people think about choosing a church, it's all about what we saw on the screen, what we might call the amenities that are involved. You know, how comfortable are the seats and what kind of programs are offered for kids and for adults and what's the music program like and, and all those kinds of things. And all those things are important, by the way. And all those things are great, but the question becomes, are they the most important things about choosing a church? If not, what are the most important things. And I can say in my years of ministry that I've seen great kids grow up in all sizes and kinds of churches, and I've seen them become great adults and mature servants of Jesus, regardless of the size of the church. And I've also seen kids and adults in all kinds of churches fall by the wayside, fall away from Jesus and the life that they know that they should live. And it didn't seem to have much to do with the size of the church and, and exactly what kind of youth program there was in the church and all those kinds of things. It had to do with other factors involved, including parents. We're not going to talk about parents today, so don't worry uh, about that. But we're going to begin 
Last week, uh, three or four weeks ago, we started this series in, in the book of Colossians. We're not going to read the last few verses of chapter 1, but today we're going to go to chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Before I read that verse, let me just say that at the end of chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the agony uh, of his struggle and the work that is involved to uh, what's called present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. In other words, winning people to Christ and growing people up in Christ. Paul said there's agony and struggle involved in that. He took personally each person's struggle to know Christ and to grow in maturity in Christ. Developing maturity in Christ, evidently on the part of Paul the Apostle anyway, was a wearisome toil and a lot of struggle. So let's go to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, which begins like this. Paul says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. Now, this church was close to the city of Laodicea, and Paul, Colossae and Laodicea were close to each other, and Paul hadn't been to either one of them. But he said, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. I want you to know what a great conflict. That word conflict is kind of interesting. It's it's the word that we get the word agony from. He said, I want you to know the agony that I have suffered. Uh, Some translations say how great a struggle I've had. Uh, One says, I want you to know how I've agonized for you. I want you to know how hard I've contended uh, for you. And he's continuing from the latter part of chapter one. Excuse excuse me, I am struggling a little bit. You can go ahead and get me some water if you want. I had a feeling this was coming on uh, this morning. So anyway, this, uh, this, this great conflict that he's talking about does speak of the agony that the Apostle Paul has. And it's a word, by the way, that speaks of a person entering an athletic contest to compete for a prize. Todd just walked out to get me some water, and I know he was involved in a a trail run yesterday morning. So I called him somewhere afternoon. I said, hey, how'd your run go today? He said, man, it was the hardest run I've ever had in my entire life. And and, and that's kind of what this word is all about. Coaches say, leave it all on the field or all on the court or all on the track or something like that. And Paul is saying to these people, that's what I've done for you. I've just left it all on the field for you. I have agonized. I have struggled. I've entered the contest and I ran even when I was worn out. And then Paul talks about what he's trying to accomplish in these people. Verse two, here's what Paul wanted for them. He wanted that their hearts may be encouraged. He wanted uh, them to be knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, which involved the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. And so here's what Paul wanted for the Colossians. First of all, he wanted them to their hearts to be encouraged. And you remember there's another word for Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. This may not help, but it'll make me feel a lot better anyway. That uh, in the New Testament, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter who would come, you know, when the comforter comes, this is a form of that same word, uh, the comforter. So he says he wanted their hearts to be encouraged or comforted. Now remember, Paul the Apostle is in jail when he writes this. He's in prison in Rome. He's writing to a group of Christians, the church at Colossae, who are trying to live for Christ 
in a non-Christian society. And he said, the first thing I really want for you is for your hearts to be encouraged. I want you to be comforted in the problems you're going through. And then he wanted them to be knit together or united by love, both their love for Christ and their love for each other in Christ. And he wanted thirdly then to have the full assurance, the complete confidence that can only come with understanding the mystery of God that can only be found in Jesus Christ alone. He wanted them to have this unquestioned certainty about the truth of Christianity, that Jesus was for real. He wanted them to have a, a full assurance of the truth of their salvation, that what they had done was not just, a, a, you know, not just some words that they said, but that it actually transformed their eternity. He wanted them to understand the, 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 the fullness of God's design, God's mystery about how Gentiles would be included in the church. And so uh, then he continues in verse three, verse two, he ended by uh, speaking about both of the father and of Christ in verse three, he says in whom, and now he's talking about Jesus in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Real treasure is found in the wisdom and knowledge of God. True wisdom and true knowledge about God are found only in Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He's the one we've been talking about. He's the perfect image of God according to chapter one. He's the whole picture of God. He is the true God. It is all about Jesus, which leads to the comment that Paul makes in verse four. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. This is what the, the whole book is really about. It's about <clears throat> false teaching. Now for the first time in the book, the apostle mentions the danger facing the church here is that, that if they are not founded in the truth of Jesus Christ, they will be deceived by these persuasive words. What we do, when what we do is not based on what God says, when what we do is not based on the word of God, but instead is based on how we feel about something or how our ego has been, uh, has been stroked, then we're certain to be led astray by smooth sounding words and arguments. Verse five, for though I am absent in the flesh, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So finally, Paul closes these words by encouraging the church uh, at Colossae with reports of their, first of all, their good order. That means their well-ordered Christian behavior. This was a church that kind of had it together. This was a church that was organized in their service to God. And he talks about the steadfastness of your faith or the firmness of their dynamic faith. So. We're gonna, uh, you know, that's kind of what those words were about. What we're gonna look at today is what should you look for in a church and what should we aspire to be as a church? What are the most important things? Just very quickly, five things here. The first one is this. Look for a church that encourages your heart. Isn't that what, the way Paul uh, started these, uh, this chapter here? And uh, he said in verse two, Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Church is supposed to encourage and comfort you, to build you up rather than tear you down. 
Uh, I always like the New International Version translation of 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, where in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is, is criticizing the church at Corinth for the way they treat each other and the way they took the Lord's Supper and things of that nature. And he says in verse 17, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. What I'm talking about, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. You ever go to church like that? You felt worse when you left than you did when you got there? Paul said, that's a problem with you. I want your heart to be encouraged. Now, hopefully, we're all aware of the fact that churches are made up of sinful human beings, and sometimes sinful human beings argue and fight and criticize each other. And that's why you've heard the statement, many of you, all of your life, if you find a perfect church, what? Don't join it because you'll mess it up, right? If you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll just mess it up. Read a story about a little boy one time who uh, went to church with his parents and when they got home they were eating dinner and they had church for lunch, you know, where they were just running down the pastor and running down the music program, running down everything at church and finally the little boy stepped in and he said, well, I thought it was a pretty good show for a dollar and that, you know, that's the way it is. I said, church is not going to be perfect and if we want to pick and poke, we can find things that are wrong. Arguing and fighting and criticizing and complaining and murmuring and gossiping have no place at church. Now, by the way, what is gossip? Gossip, you can, you can be telling the truth in gossip uh, sometimes. If you're not trying to make a situation better, you're just talking about it, then that is gossip. Sometimes we get so busy defending our rights and being right that we forget that what church is really about. Church is about encouraging the hearts of those people who are around us. Paul dedicated his life to encouraging Christians, even some he had never met before, these Christians in Colossae and the Christians in Laodicea. And we should do the same kind of thing. Our, our life should be about encouraging the people uh, that are around us rather than discouraging people. If somebody tells you they're getting ready to have surgery, don't tell them about the 14 people you knew who died uh, from that surgery. All right, encourage them. Tell them how God is going to be with them and that you're praying for them and everything is going to be great. Our commitment as a church should be that when people leave this place, they leave more encouraged than they were when they got here. And that is possible if, there's always that big little word if, that's possible if we dedicate ourselves to building up each other and comforting each other. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt word, no rotten, worthless communication, no senseless communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, if you talk a lot like I do, that is really, really hard uh, rule to keep right there, but you have to work on it hard. Let no rotten word, no rotten communication proceed out of your mouth. But instead, when anything comes out of your mouth, it should be what is good for necessary edification, what is good for supplying help where help is needed, what is good for building up a person in a time of need, what is good for building up a person according to whatever their need is. So if you have something to say, it should be something that builds people up. And if it doesn't uh, build people up, if it's not planned to be helpful, then what the, the apostle Paul says is stuff it. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Uh, if it doesn't minister grace or impart grace. Now here, grace would mean encouragement or benefit or help. Think about the words that you speak and make sure that they impart benefit and help and encouragement to others. I referenced this verse of scripture a little bit earlier. Let me read it to you. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three says this, blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We're to be comforters, encouragers, right? And here's what God does, verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation. All the problems we have, God comforts us. One of the reasons he comforts us is that so we'll feel better. But the main reason he comforts us is that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I thank God for his comfort and for his encouragement. I cry out to God for his comfort and his encouragement. Sometimes I don't even know what to say to God when I'm crying out to him for his comfort and his encouragement. And I'm thankful when he, when he, he brings peace when oh, I can feel, the, uh, I can feel the, the, the pulse going down and the blood pressure going down and all those kinds of things, I'm really thankful to God when that happens. But then I have to understand that one of the main reasons God does that for me is so I can help you in that way. And the one reason, main reason God does that for you is so that you can help me in that particular area. So I would just ask you this, be an encourager. It's not the easy thing, kind of like being a peacemaker. It's not an easy thing to do, but be an encourager of others. Sometimes we just need somebody to encourage us. I understand that, but be an encourager. It's a program that can be implemented right away. It doesn't require money or a committee. It just requires every person being a, a word of encouragement to those who are around them. So look for a church that encourages your heart. And we should be a church that encourages people's hearts. Secondly, look for a church that is united in love. Paul continued with his purpose for the church at Colossae, Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. We are God's people. We're God's family. We're to love each other. That's the way that people are supposed to know who we are by the way we express our love for each other. And that love can only be based on unity. During World War II, uh, one of the allies that we as the United States has had was the country of Russia. The reason Russia was our ally is because we had a common enemy and that common enemy was Germany and Adolf Hitler and the, the evil regime of Germany during that period of time. We worked together because of a common enemy, United States and Russia, but there was no unity involved. And when World War II ended, the Cold War began. As a matter of fact, they overlapped. The Cold War and World War II kind of went on at the same time because we never really had much in common with the nation of Russia, never had any unity with her ideals. Having a common enemy is not enough to keep countries united, nor is it enough to keep a church united uh, because, you know, enemies, so-called enemies come and go. A church can remain united only as long as that unity is based on the foundation of love and commitment. If it's just based on a common enemy, then uh, you know, the unity is not gonna be there for very long. Same thing is true of marriages, isn't it? Have you seen many marriages, they, they've lasted for 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 years or something like that, and then the kids grow up and they make it through college and maybe they get married, the mortgage gets paid off and finances get a little bit better and all those kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, uh, husband and wife start living separate lives. They don't have much in common anymore. And that's the reason the divorce rate is, is kind of high for people that have been married for more than 20 years because the marriage was never uh, based on mutual love and commitment to each other. It was based on common enemies and, and battles that had to be fight, fought. But if the marriage is based on the foundation of love and commitment to each other and to Christ, 
A couple can survive and even thrive the empty nest syndrome. You can kind of enjoy the fact that the kids aren't around the house anymore. You can survive prosperity as well as poverty when it's your marriage is based on the mutual commitment of love and trust or whatever comes this way. And as a church, it's not enough for us to fight the devil and believe in a common cause. We must be united in love. Of course, there's always going to be disagreement and conflict. I don't, you know, there's, there's human, human beings. Uh, I, I don't agree with myself all the time. How could I possibly agree with you all the time? But being united in love and commitment means that we can face conflict with an attitude that says, hey, look, we're brothers and sisters here. Let's resolve this peacefully and lovingly. Now, by the way, I'm not aware of any conflict going on right now, so I'm not you know, I'm just preaching to the choir, but uh, just something that we should do as a church. That's something we can do. We can be a church that encourages others. We can be a church that is united in love. Here's the third thing. Uh, Look for a church that lifts up Jesus. In our society, you can talk about angels, movies about angels, TV shows. Angels just pop up in shows all the time. And, And you can talk about spirits. And you can even talk about God in a general way. But don't mention Jesus because that starts to separate people. Now, most people kind of, uh, uh, in general have had a respect for Jesus over the years, but that's not as true as much anymore. Jesus, but Jesus is the focus of our message and has to be the focus of what our church is all about. Last Sunday when we were looking at chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is the very God of the universe. He's not God's little boy. He is the very God of the universe. He's all we can ever see of the invisible God, all we will ever see of the invisible God. He is the creator of everything. He is the Savior. And our message to the world is that every individual can have a dynamic, life-changing relationship with the God of the universe, but only through Jesus. That's the only way, only through Jesus. Jesus himself made this statement, John 14, 6. He was speaking to doubting Thomas when he said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father, except no one comes to the Father except through me, excuse me. Uh, Paul, the, the, the apostle Peter made this statement in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, that is any other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which, uh, by which we must be saved. All religions do not lead to God. Many religions lead away from God. Only Jesus can bring you into a right relationship with God. Now, if you've been around here for very long, and some of you have been, you know that I, I, I don't stand up here. I'm not critical of other denominations and other religions and rarely say anything like that. But I have to say this. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, and that is our message. He came into this world to show us the way because he is the way. He came into this world to teach us the truth because he is the truth. He came into this world to give us life because he is the life that we would have. And that's why Paul said that this, his purpose was this, back to Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom, in Jesus, 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our message is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He has to be our focus. We should all look for a church that lifts up Jesus, and we must be a church that lifts up Jesus and Jesus only. Here's the fourth thing. Look for a church that has a commitment to truth. That fourth verse that we read. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. From the beginning of the church, from the history of the church, there have been those who, in the name of Jesus, have taught things that weren't true. And, and Paul's really getting to the crux of the problem here. Uh, excuse me, that uh, Colossians chapter 2. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. In the early in the early centuries, there were the Judaizers who were around that taught you had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved, and you didn't have to. And there was a group of people called the Gnostics or the Knowers or the Knowledge people who, who taught that you, only a few people could really have the in with God. You know, you had to have this, this special connection with God, this special knowledge. And, and they taught that everything material was evil, so it doesn't really matter what you, you do in your body. They could do anything they wanted to in the body uh, because the body was evil anyway and there wasn't anything you could do to help it. You couldn't serve God in the body. And they taught that Jesus wasn't really uh, in earth in the body. He just looked that way. You didn't really die and he didn't really resurrecting all kinds of things and these were people who were in churches trying to lead Christians away from the truth and today we have all kinds of people who detract from the gospel by trying to add things to it and take things away from it when the truth of the gospel is for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved when the truth of the gospel is by grace you're saved through faith uh, and, 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 uh, and, and you're going to have problems when you serve God uh, but he's simply going to be with you through those problems. So we, we have to use judgment and discernment in determining what we believe. A church must be committed to teaching the truth. Truth is found in Scripture. And now the statement that came up a while ago, our commitment to the truth is to be faithful to all the Word of God. That's what we want to do. We want to be faithful to all the Word of God. We want to teach the Word of God in its entirety. And we want to live it to the best of our ability and we're not going to be perfect in that but when we miss the mark we just try again to do a little bit better and one more thing look for a church that encourages your heart look for a church that is united in love look for a church that lifts up Jesus look for a church with a commitment to truth and look for a church that is consistent <clears throat> concerning the church at Colossae Paul said that he rejoiced Colossians 2 5 to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I said that your good order, that means your well-ordered Christian behavior. These people had it worked out. They knew what it meant to live for Christ and the firmness of their dynamic faith, which was directed to Jesus alone. So Paul commends them for their consistency in service. You do it every day, you do it every week, you do it every month, you do it throughout the year. Doing the work of, of the Lord is kind of like or it's related to most any, any other work. It's a matter of being consistent day after day, week after week, year after year. I look down here at Rusty. Uh, Rusty's truck driver right now. Uh, Rusty's company has always treated him well, and I know why. Because Rusty shows up every day for work. Every day for work. And he works the entire day when he's there. That's what work is all about. Week after week, month after month, year after year, doing what you're supposed to do. Not you know, exploding one time and doing nothing the next time. 
our commitment here to reaching the lost is continual. That's the reason that we do what we do on Sunday mornings, and it's the reason what we do with special activities like the Blue Wahoos game. It's about reaching out to others. We do things so that you can invite people to join you in, uh, in activities that, that are non-threatening so that people can see, hey, church people aren't weird after all. Well, maybe a little weird, but we're all weird. Uh, church people aren't so weird after all. That's the reason we do those kind of things, and we try to do them consistently. Our commitment to meeting needs is continual, and that's why we give regularly to Man of Food Pantry and why one of our guys is, is one of the main workers over there. Uh, and that's why we, we support the Safe Harbor Women's Predicate. Pregnancy Medical Center, I, if I get that all right, because uh, one of our ladies uh, is, is, is one of their main counselors uh, over there. That's why we try to keep our, our eyes open to the needs within our membership, because we know we have an obligation to take care of each other. And that's the reason we're involved in various other health ministries that go on uh, in our city and in our, in our county. Our commitment to building up disciples in Christ is continual. That's why we have small groups including those that meet on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and the one that meets Sunday night at 6 o'clock and the one that meets Tuesday night at 6.30 and the one that meets Wednesday night at 6.30 uh, is because of the fact that we're committed to building up disciples. We're committed to drawing people closer to Christ and teaching them the things of the Word of God. Our commitment to changing the world is ongoing. These commitments are permanent, uh, not because they're based on convenience, because they're pretty inconvenient, but because they're based on conviction. Think about this, being consistent in our walk with Christ and in the work of the ministry must become our ultimate priority. That's what, we're should, that's what we should look for and that's what we should be as a church and as individuals that make up the body of Christ at Milestone. We have the ability to, and we must be committed to encourage one another. That's, that's our, one of our main jobs is to encourage each other, not to discourage and tear down and take advantage of, but to encourage one another. Uh, to love one another. That's what distinguishes us from the world. It's not our buildings and our crosses and, and our suits and all that kind of stuff. It's the love we have for each other. We must be committed to lift up the name of Jesus and do it in the way that Jesus would do it. Sinners should like us and love us, I believe. Now that may go seem counter church, but I think sinners should like Christians because we, they know that we love them and are concerned about them. Uh, we should be committed to teach the truth of the Bible and we should do it week after week after week. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. Here it is. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, then be that church. Don't look for somebody else to be that. But if that's what you're looking for, be that church. You are the church, right? This building is, is not the church. We call it that sometimes. These, these floors and these seats and so forth is not the church. You're the church. And what you do, the church does. And what you believe, the church believes. And so, if those things that, that Paul talked about, and those things that I mentioned this morning, the kind of church you're looking for, then you be that church. Build up people in Christ, encourage people, love each other. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us today and I thank you for that. I know you care about us. I know that we often fall short of what we need to do for you. It's because we make it all about us rather than all about you. And quite frankly, I haven't even figured out exactly how to make it all about you, but I ask you to continue to guide us in that direction. 
Pray that you'd work within us today. Call us to whatever decision you have for us to make, to trust Jesus as our Savior, to follow him in baptism, to uh, follow him in church membership, to follow him in ministry, wherever, whatever that might be. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.